Climbing Gold is a production of Duct Tape and Beer, with support from the North Face. Never stop exploring. Dr. Squatch, get dirty, stay clean. Chorus, explore perfection. An element, restoring health through hydration. Hey all, this is part two of the story of how the Dawn Wall led to climbing's tipping point. If you haven't listened yet, check out part one. We released it last week. In our conversation, Tommy Caldwell offered a candid perspective into the personal impacts of the Don Wall coverage. Some positive, some negative. It gives a sense of what happens when you unexpectedly find yourself in the global spotlight. That ascent, in a lot of ways, made Tommy Caldwell arguably the first household name in climbing. I'm Alex Honnold. I'm Fitz Cahal. You're listening to Climbing Gold. It's such an interesting thing because obviously the Don Wall was such a huge deal for climbers. Like everyone was just rooting for you. It was, you know, like the climbing world was paying attention to what you were doing. Were you surprised by the level of interest that the broader sort of mainstream culture took in it? I mean, I think before Kevin and I went for our big push, the, you know, climbers were paying attention. But then when we were on our push, and John Branch started publishing the articles in the New York Times. That's when it really blew up. And I was completely surprised. Like, I, I mean, of course, nobody, I don't think that had really ever, I mean, I guess it probably had happened in climbing before, but, you know, certainly not in my generation in a way that I understood. So it seemed absurd. Like, I fully still don't understand it. Like, from your perspective, was it you did an interview with John? He said he reached out to Kevin on Twitter or something like that. You guys do an interview and then it, does your phone start going off the hook? Like what ha- Like how, how do you experience that while you're living on the wall? I mean, we were like in this little bubble up there on the wall. We didn't really, it's just, it just felt like me and Kevin and, and Brett Lowell, our, you know, our film, film guy was up there with us and it was just like our little team. And so getting a call from New York, from John Branch was like a little bit surreal, but it didn't really changed the experience at first it just felt like this one-off thing and i think since kevin and i have been kind of quote-unquote professional climbers for a long time we occasionally do interviews with more major media sources we didn't know at that point what was going to happen because of that interview well one of the other fascinating sides of this was that you were able to broadcast from your phones either you know by doing interviews or via your instagram feeds uh, cell coverage is, has always been sort of pretty fickle in the valley. Uh, the technology, you know, played a huge role in this story blowing up when when you could really use a cell phone up there. It was great then on the right side of El Cap. I, you know, I, I don't know for sure because mostly I would climb on the left side of El Cap and the mm-hmm. service was not good over there. I think probably around 2010 or so, the cell phone service got really good. Like as you guys got closer to the top, could you see the news trucks in the in the in the meadow in the whole thing? Like, were you prepared for like what would you'd find on the valley floor when you guys got down? Yeah, I mean, after that first interview, you know, something struck a chord. Everybody started paying attention, and that 
we we did feel that like we were getting lots of requests at one point actually kevin and i just had to have this conversation and we're like how are we going to deal with this like we can't spend our whole days just doing interviews and and it just all felt kind of stressful to think about the fact that so many people were watching us especially since kevin was in the middle of like failing basically um and so we actually made this decision that we uh weren't going to accept any more interview requests or anything like the only thing we're going to do is outgoing we're going to do our little instagram posts and that was it but at the same time we could look down in the valley floor and see trucks and see that these interview requests were coming in and um yeah it it did seem pretty crazy although we didn't fully understand it still because like i said it was just it was just the it was just really the three of us up there on the wall from your standpoint was like john really the the beginning of the wall of coverage? Uh, I think it was a bunch of things. I think John came in at a very instrumental time, but we had been working on the route for a lot of years. So the interest, you know, had kind of been vacillating and people kind of had given up up on us and it all seemed impossible. And then the fact that it seemed possible really got climbers interested. And then John did a great job of writing it all down in a way that was very understandable to the larger audience. But I also think we just sort of, happened across this very intriguing form of storytelling like the fact that we were up there for 19 days and people could follow along every day and like get these updates that's kind of exciting it's like if you think about the olympics or something is this a big event that lasts you know i forget how long the olympics last a week or two weeks or something you yeah you're excited about yeah yeah two weeks yeah so you're excited about the next stage every day and i think two a two-week story that's unfolding real time is it just happens to be this really incredible incredibly exciting way to 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 be a spectator i guess and we didn't realize that ahead of time um but i think i think that's one of the reasons it worked so well and then also the world was kind of boring comparatively right then Um, (laughs) now if if that were to happen now it would get no coverage you know Yeah, I think John was joking about that. Is like it may have been a slow news day when it started, and then it obviously like took on a life of its own. Um, yeah. After getting to the top, and like, what stands out in your mind? Um, you know, in in of those next few days, because weren't you guys on Ellen? And like, I I just I feel like it was kind of insane. Yeah. So the last day, um, climbing to the top, or the last two days, really. Um, we had this sense that something crazy was going to go down because, you know, the news trucks were building. Everybody knew that we were going to basically succeed and make it to the top. When we got about four or five pitches from the top, there was like this crowd of people that had all hiked around and we could look over to the east and see this ledge with like, <laughs> with like a ton of people cheering for us. And we could actually start to kind of communicate with them, not over cell phones a little bit. And then, and then when we topped out, that was when it was really crazy because there was, you know, 50 people up there. Mm-hmm. lots of reporters who would you know never hiked more than like a mile in their life they'd like found ways to get to the top of el cap and hire guides and it was in the middle of the winter and then and then um you know president obama was trying to get a hold of us and yeah it was it was super insane and that that was really like those last few days and then that moment of topping out where when it really really struck us how sort of insane the media event was mm-hmm did you end up talking to Obama? I never talked to him. Something something happened. He tried to call when we were on top, but it didn't really work. And then he and then apparently he tried to call the next day, but I was in Yosemite West and um and it just never quite worked out. So he posted this thing on Twitter instead. 
Alex, as his good friend, did you see Tommy's world change after the Donwall? Yeah, I mean, I definitely saw it a little bit just because he had so many more high-profile events, appearances. I mean, going to Ellen, you know, getting a tweet from Obama, like I remember those kinds of things, and just the, the whole... Uh, late night TV type circuit. I mean, I, f- I forget all the things they did. And then and then he had a book deal. And so then he wrote this book, which, you know, he put a ton of time and effort into. And he and Kevin were doing all kinds of corporate speaking gigs together. I mean, it definitely, in, in some ways, it was one of my first glimpses of, of full professional climbing life. I mean, because this is all way before the free solo film tour for me. And so, you know, I didn't really know what corporate speaking was all about you know in some ways tommy and kevin were were like the the guinea pigs was tommy's um you know surge in popularity was it and, and how he had to deal with it all was it a sort of template or or did you ask him for advice when you were dealing with it a few years later Actually, I don't really remember ever getting advice from him. I think I think for both of us, we're just trying to survive what got thrown at us. <laughs> you know, it's like there's no real plan. You're just like, oh wow, there are these crazy things happening. You just do your best to stay above water. How did the Don Wall change your career? Did all that media coverage like change your situation? Were you starting to be like recognized at airports? Like, what did it, like? And I have no idea, but like, what did it do for you? I mean, it was definitely a blessing and a curse. It definitely changed my career and my life in a lot of ways, like still to this day, you know, eight years later or whatever, I get recognized kind of wherever I go. Like I was just in Europe and I get recognized in the train stations in Europe or in airports or whatever. It's not just in the U S it's kind of nationally. Um, there was a lot of opportunity, which that's the blessing and the curse part. Like I, you know, I, you know, I feel like I feel pretty stable about supporting my family as a climber, which I kind of never thought that would be the case. And now I feel like, Mm-hmm. It's the case, and I'm psyched about that. But also, I think I enjoy the kind of life where I can focus on singular things very intensely, like the Don Wall. And my life's just not like that anymore. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. I feel like I'm pulled in a million different directions all the time, and so it's getting it's getting pretty good now. Like I feel like I'm in a good spot now, but it's taken a good like five six years to figure out how to manage all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so in, it's so interesting, like in terms of of being a professional athlete in climbing because it's not it's not like being a, a, a football player where you're like every Sunday I go play a game you know it, like that you do actually probably have to really think about your time and how you're using it because so many of the opportunities don't like no one's buying a ticket to see you climb right like it's it's they're, they're, the actual performance of what you do is different from how you make money as a professional right was that disconcerting in the beginning to sort of have to like juggle all that like how did you did you get frustrated by that attention or um was it just something you knew you needed to get better at i mean i definitely my stress level went up i remember i was like having these weird shoulder problems and i went to um my a physical therapist and she's like it's because your stress is too high like you know i started to feel injured because i was just dealing with all these things i hadn't dealt with before um and i think i think part of the reason was i think some professional athletes they sort of have this ramp up into that kind of life of being a public person i guess i did kind of but i didn't expect it to to really explode that quickly so my life really changed overnight like suddenly i was standing on stages in front of like you know 2000 people doing these events and that's something i never i never wanted to do really there was a a very notable 
wrinkle to the Don Wall story. Um, you know, the pressure's mounting. The interview requests are pouring in, and all of a sudden, you drop your phone. And I think a lot of people kind of half-jokingly have always speculated that that may have been intentional. Uh, was it? <laughs> yeah, I know it was absolutely on accident. I, I didn't mean to drop it, but it was a it was it was totally a blessing. Like <laughs> I think I think we were up there stressing, and it was really hard to not look at our phones and not you know we were we were kind of you know we're saying that the only communication we were going to have is outgoing, but we were still sort of following all the news coverage because it was global at that point and it was super distracting and suddenly i dropped my phone and i was actually in a different portal edge than kevin so it wasn't like i could look at his phone um we you know i was in a portal edge with brett lowell our filmer so it was me and him hanging out there and then kevin had his own so kevin was just over there following (laughs) following the the coverage just stressing out like crazy and and i was able to just distance myself from it and it was amazing like the the colors came back to life like my humor came back in a different way um the stress for me personally was a little bit over because i because i had sent the hard pitches at that point so i was just sort of waiting around for kevin and really appreciating the moment like it's a beautiful place up there and i think when i had my phone and we're and we're talking to media and and following this coverage it it was we didn't recognize the the experience and the beauty as much yeah what do you um remember about the press conference afterwards oh the press conference was one of the most awkward days of my life because i got sick up on the wall the last few days um, I think Corey Rich was going up and down uh, the last couple of days taking photos of us, and he brought a cold up <laughs> and, gave me a, and gave me a cold. And then we were, you know, just a harsh environment. We were, I was really dehydrated. Um, I was yelling to Kevin, like cheering him on, like as loud as I could every day. And so the last day, I completely lost my voice, like 100%. And when we topped out, I was able to talk to people in this kind of frog-like voice. But I woke up the next morning, and I could not get any like any air through my vocal cords. I couldn't say a thing. And then we had to do this press conference for like eight hours of, of press interviews. And I just sat there next to Kevin as he talked. And it was, it was pretty, it was really strange. <laughs> That's wild. Um, Tommy, you know, Alex and I, we got interested in, in the sort of 2015 angle of this story because we were chatting about when we felt climbing really take off really accelerate and and i'm curious whether you felt that same explosion in the middle half of of the last decade yeah i definitely sensed it and i've heard it from a lot of climbing gym owners i think the formula had been figured out that climbing gyms were sort of this financially viable good thing before the don wall happened but some good friends of mine who own gyms in boulder and denver they said that because of the Donwall and right after the Donwall, they had like floods of people coming in. And they're basically like, I'd go to the gym and they'd be like, thank you. Oh my God, this is kind of incredible. <laughs> so many people are coming into the gym now. And so it became more financially good. And so then therefore more gyms open. Yeah, I feel like that all contributed. Thanks Tommy for chatting with us. We are back next week with a very special project that we are excited to share. Can't wait. Music today by Ferris and Wildness, courtesy of Track Club. Today's show was edited by me, Fitzcall, with additional help from Matt Martin. Thanks for listening.